Good evening to you and welcome to the first of the Sanctuary First Late Show on a Friday evening. And I hope you enjoyed that little, uh, the new sting, uh, which is our introductory music for the, the Late Show. And I believe next month when you're back on, we're back on again, it will be animated. So something different. So thank you for joining us and being part of the Late Show tonight. Uh, we've got two specials now. We're going to have uh, one tonight and then another on the 3rd of December. And then we'll be back again at the beginning of next year. And who knows where that might take us. So hi guys, great to have you with us and we've got a great team with us tonight and some of the some of the usuals, we've got James Cuthcart. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here Albert. I'm, I'm excited for the late show, it's happening. <laughs> yes. We're back. We're back. And we've got uh, Ian Jimison here, the, the doc, with us tonight. Happy days, it's good to be back on the late show. <laughs> and of course, uh, James... Your mammy's here tonight to look after you. Welcome, Rona. <laughs> Lovely to see you all. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. The theme tonight we're looking at is, of course, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to, uh, we've got to pick up what's current just now, and we want to be looking at COP twenty six. How can we find and how can we be faithful disciples of Jesus and respond to the events of the world, championing His grace and His mercy, but beginning to understand a wee bit about what it means to make changes in our lifestyle in order that we can uh, have a better planet to hand on to future generations. So it's great to have you with us tonight, Rona, and we're going to just have a bit of general chat. How have things been with you all? Uh, well, I can tell you I'm part of the police presence at COP. <laughs> um, if you're naughty enough to uh, get arrested by the police and have some cannabis on you because we like to go green these days, um, <laughs> then you'll probably end up in front of me and uh, it'll be my smiling face taking your blood or telling you that you know you don't need a detox from cannabis and it will all be okay. Um, so yeah, that's that. So I've been working kind of pretty heavily through this, um, being on call, and I've got colleagues. And, and tomorrow morning, as of eight o'clock, um, I'm doing another twenty-four hour shift, followed by a, I think it's a twelve-hour shift the next so day. Do, so do you have a kind of is it a, do you have a an an escort, police escort into the place and all that kind of stuff? No, I just have to slum it with everybody else. Actually, my my biggest my my biggest problem is actually convincing people I'm a doctor. I mean, this has actually haunted me my entire career. Lots of folks say oh, you don't look like a doctor and you don't sound like a doctor. And up until recently, I've taken that as a compliment. Until I found out it was going to be a granddad, and then I thought maybe I should appear a bit more doctorly. But I'm afraid that the, the die is cast. Listen, you don't come it. I remember. When you bought the tweed suit, <laughs> the three-piece tweed suit to look like Dr. Finley's case book. I remember it. I still have the tweed suit. I sometimes put it on just to remind me. <laughs> it's a great image, Ian, you going around trying to convince people that you are a doctor. That's great. Yeah, I, that. I, I just feel, I just feel I'm, I'm just a bit too rock and roll, you know, to be... To be, a yeah, to be a doctor. But the thing is, you can be rock and roll and rock the tweed suit, by the way. Mumford and Sons ripped me off. I'm just putting that out there, guys. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Your lawyers are listening. 
Ian, as you get older, you're not looking too rock and roll tonight. You're more kind of folky. You're more kind of, you know, it's more like the, the streets of London look that you've got tonight, you know. One of my mates said to me, you look like a lost sailor. And I thought, you know, there's a, I thought there's a lot of meaning in that, actually. Do you know, what a curious thing for you to say, because you're right, brother, aren't we all lost sailors? Hey. Fantastic. A lost sailor. That is brilliant. Ronna, how are things in the parish with you? How are things going up there? Good. We're um I'm up in Inverurie, so up in the northeast near Aberdeen. Um and uh, uh so we're in one way at a little bit of a distance from COP, but that doesn't mean that that things aren't kind of happening and and certainly we've been discussing it in our church and uh um, doing our own take on things, and uh, yeah, well, I think James and I are going to be talking about the course that uh, that some of us have been on, which has been really interesting. Um, otherwise, just dealing with the change in weather. Uh, don't know about Glasgow, but it's uh, it's half a chilly up here in uh, in Aberdeenshire at the moment. Yeah, of course, and tonight it's also Guy Fox. So, so uh, have you been having any firework displays round about where you are? Well, I, I came back from earlier from a, working on an art, pro, art project earlier this evening, and I haven't done much driving in the dark. And I have to say, um, it was it was quite interesting driving along the back country roads in the dark, and all of a sudden there would be an explosion of fireworks out of uh, out of the corner. Um, but it in some ways helped light the roads up a little bit, so that wasn't so bad. I'm glad, Albert, that you've reminded me that it is fireworks night because I thought this was all in aid of the late show. Um, I figured that the fireworks were out. Ian Jimison is back on the airwaves. It's time to let out some fireworks. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, dear. There's bound to be a few people in Scotland that have missed that, though, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's funny for me, Albert, I'm in Glasgow. I'm in the city of Cot, but I'm further south, south of the river. Um, and it's funny, us on the south side often feel that um, people north of, of the city seem to think the south side's this mythical land, you know, and <laughs> you don't cross the river. Like, if you cross the river, you never go back. Um, because the secret of life is the south side of Glasgow. So I've been enjoying that um, and having a fairly quiet time. I'm aware of these seismic global events that are happening just a mile or so away. Um, but life is more humdrum and uh, the sort of lovely, charming every day of being a dad at the moment. Um, and my wee daughter um, has just started doing something adorable, which I thought I'd share with you, which is that um, we like to say ready, steady, go as you might when running. Um, but my daughter has got the idea that what we're saying is ready, Teddy, go. So, <laughs> so when she wants to run towards us, she'll go, this beautiful little one and a half year old, she'll go, ready, Teddy, go, and then run and leap towards you. And so my hope is for as long as possible to convince my daughter that it is ready, Teddy, go. And so that when she's an Olympic athlete and she's training with all the best <laughs> of the world, she's there at the starting blocks going, ready, Teddy, go. And everyone's like, what? Ready, Teddy, what? <laughs> Super. Oh, Super. Well, I'm wondering if we should maybe have a little song from you, Ian. Just what? Already? Yeah, Already. why not? We can't wait any longer, Ian. If you want, if you want. The, the, one of the great things about um, a bit of inside baseball here on the um, on the Late Show is that uh, most musicians get about two weeks' notice. Um, <laughs> we, have, 
play <laughs> songs on there. I get about 30 seconds. <laughs> you're other... a pro, Ian. I was saying, well, you know. Um, the other thing is that Joe... The thing about Joe always says my voice is too loud or it's my snoring that's too loud. It's one of the things that's too loud. So if this blasts your ears off, I'm going to try and stand a bit back from the mics um, and play you this wee song. And I've deliberately not told anybody what song I'm going to play. Um, so this is a song by The Clash. No, it's not by the song by The Clash at all. Um, <laughs> this, this is a song that... Uh, Albert and I wrote that is practically older than Cop itself. Um, so let's see if he recognises it. I mean, I might mangle up so much that he doesn't recognise it. He'll just he'll be standing there with a, a blank look in his face like, I wrote what? He goes like this. I looked at the earth and lo, it was always White dust covered the sea And I cried for the birds that all deserted the air And the stench of death filled the land And the stench of death filled Spirit of the Lord is upon you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Oh, the oil and the light flow within you. So talk no more. Talk no more. No. Talk no more of desolation, of shun desolation. And he beckoned me with a lamp in his hand, and I followed in the warmth of his light. I walked through the darkness of eternal abyss. And I heard the book of life, it called my name. And heaven's music, it filled the air. It filled the air. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. The Spirit of the Lord. Death itself no longer lives 
His mask lay cold and deserted A child was smiling back at me And heaven's music It filled the air No matter what was there It filled the It filled the air because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the oil and the light flow within you. So talk no Talk no more of desolation. No more desolation. No more desolation. I'll be the studio audience seeing oh, it. Oh, just shots. <laughs> Tell me, did that actually blow the meters off the scales? I'm sure it must have done it some, but I get it away there. I try not to, but you know. <laughs> no, that was beautiful, Ian. Thank you. And I, I thought it was a great choice um, for, you know, we've got COP and we're going to be talking about COP26. And there's a lot of bittersweet feeling, isn't there? There's a lot, and, and that song just with your whole emotional range there from the quiet moment to the big moment. And I think that's where we're, that's kind of where our heads are at this week, isn't yeah. it? You know, in terms of thinking about just the, the hope, but also the terror um, of, of what we're facing. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> Listen, tonight we were hoping, <coughs> we're hoping that, that this is Albert when he just saw the the uh, royalty check he's getting for that play on YouTube. You <laughs> cannot believe the magnificence and size of it. <laughs> Listen, we're we're going to talk about. Uh, we're hoping that Laura and uh, Rona will be able to talk tonight about COP and about a particular course they were on. But Laura is not feeling too well today, so she's had to call off. So uh, we're going to leave it over to you, James, to have a little chat with Rona just about that conference that, that she attended uh, on COP26. Absolutely. Thank you, Albert. If um, interviewing your own mother uh, wasn't enough pressure, uh, I now have to fill the shoes of Laura Digan. So uh, wish me luck, folks, as I uh, channel... Laura Digan and speak to you mum or Rona, Rona Cathcart as is your actual name. Um, Rona, you're a, a contributor to Sanctuary First. You've been uh, writing for us for years and contributing to services and, and the worship we do. Um, and you're also a minister up in the northeast of Scotland. Can you tell us a bit about your parish and, and your life up there? Absolutely. Um, I'm in Inverurie, which is about 16 miles outside of Aberdeen. Uh, it's a lovely part of the world and if you've not been there or if you're down Glasgow way and it's getting too busy do come up and see us. Um, it really is lovely. I didn't know the Northeast well at all before I came up here, uh, which was about five years ago, but have settled in well. And we're a Church of Scotland 
right in the heart of, of the town of Inverurie, which is still quite a bustling place. We've got a lot of stuff going on in Inverurie and uh, our church has a cafe, which is the Acorn Centre right in the in the centre. So it's a, a good place to stop for what they would call a fly cup up here, a fly cup and a fine piece um, and somebody to have a blather with. So, um, so yeah, but we're also, and when you think about COP, we're also in a um, part of the world very affected by the oil industry because of course uh, um, oil uh, made a big difference to this area in the in the 70s and there's a lot of folks in the area who still work in in industries connected with oil um, so yeah very much a kind of a live topic and uh, one that people can sometimes feel strongly about up here mm, absolutely i can i can really imagine um and uh, it's funny um before you know you were going up there to the parish you were talking about Inverurie uh, but I've noticed the longer you've been there it's Inverurie it's <laughs> you've uh, you've localized a little bit there little bit your fine cup you you slip into the Doric every now and then it's beautiful to see um this uh, this uh, lowland Scots uh, Canadian becoming um this Doric wine um up wine north so 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 we're delighted to see that and delighted to see you so as Albert touched on there um you and Laura have both been participating in a course um this is uh, faith hope and climate change um run by Trinity College of Glasgow University um and it's um well I mean it's probably best if you give us a sense of what the course is because you're on the course and I I have not been um but could you give us an idea of what uh, that is what the kind of aim of that, that course has been who, who's been involved in it and what you've got out of participating in it sure well it was a, a seven week online course done via zoom um, I had received a, a bit of information via email from Trinity College to uh, let me know that this course was going on and they were inviting individuals and groups from churches so like Bible study groups or any other kind of active groups that wanted to take part it wasn't just for Church of Scotland it was for churches across Scotland uh, I thought it looked interesting and I spoke to my sort of Bible study group. The course was being run on a Wednesday evening and that was when we tended to meet for our Bible study, which had been via Zoom for a, a while over the pandemic. So quite a few folks were like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll give it a go um, and, uh, and be interested in, in coming along with it. So what the, what the course consisted of, it was uh, two hours on a Wednesday evening and it would open with a devotion, which was done by different people. Uh, who were helping running the course, either from Trinity College or guests that they had coming in. And then we would have a main speaker. We had some, you know, sort of fantastic world-class speakers talking on different aspects to do with um, with the whole climate change issue. So we had uh, we had somebody talking about the Pope's encyclical Laudato Si. We had a, a, a talk about from John Drain about whether the Bible is green or not. Um, we had uh, some um, a speaker, a speaker from Sri Lanka, talking about how climate change affected um, their part of the world. Uh, mm. We had um, Jim Wallace and Ross Greer talking about green politics. Um, we had uh, uh, the last two speakers, Catherine Hayhoe and Ruth Padilla Deborst, were great um, talking about what's the ultimate ask. Um, so that would be we'd, we'd listen to the talk online then we got a 10 minute break and then we were in a, a stream or a track there were three tracks you could be in activism worship or art uh so with my group we had about about 10 of us who started it and and folks dropped in and out so, so there were some folks who couldn't make it every week so they came some weeks and uh so we had somebody in each at each one of the tracks 
uh, doing some, I was in the art track, which was uh, <coughs> great, led by um, Peter Gardner and Carol Marples. And we were talking about responding to the issue using art. We got to play around with paper and tape and cut things up and, and all the rest. And we were divided into breakout groups. Um, so yeah, that was the overall structure of the course um, and, and how, it, uh, how it ran. Cool. And, and so we're going to um, move on um, shortly into a kind of wider conversation about COP26 and climate change. But I thought I'd throw you a, a tough question, um, thought I'd throw you a curveball. And, you know, what do you think as your role as a preacher, but also thinking about as a Christian, what do you think are the, you know, having reflected in this course, and I know it's been shaping your uh, services over the past month or so and, and everything, what do you think is the kind of key role of a Christian over this next 10 years? You know, they say this next 10 years is going to be just absolutely crucial in terms of us making a difference um, when it comes to climate change and carbon emissions and, and so on. And so what do you think in terms of for yourself as a preacher, but also just as a Christian, what do you think is like the biggest thing that is the sort of responsibility that you feel um, that you're feeling called to? One of the things that really struck me, we had a, um, so on, on Sunday, we're finished, we've done a climate change series or a sort of um, series to do with this for the last two months, really following the seven days of creation and picking up on some of these different themes. And we're finishing up uh, with Climate Justice Sunday on Sunday. And uh, so I was having a chat with some of the folks who were on the, the course on Zoom to ask them sort of similarly what they got out of the course. And, and one of the, the most interesting bits of feedback was that a number of them felt empowered by it. They felt that it had helped them make connections between their faith and the issue of climate change. But also, rather than feeling overwhelmed by the idea that it's just such a big topic and what can we do, they felt that potentially they had more kind of ideas and, and uh, encouragement to think that maybe they could do something. Um, Catherine Hayhoe was, was great, a last speaker about giving practical examples. And she said, we tend to think of the issue of climate change as being like a, a big boulder that we're having to push up the hill. And she said, and, and you know, what difference is one little hand going to make? And she said, but maybe we've actually reached a tipping point and we're about to go down the hill and gain momentum. And that one little hand that you are able to put on maybe just what it needs in order to be able to, uh, to, to get momentum and go over the edge. Um, so for me, what was exciting was to see some people, at least, you know, sort of not everybody in the congregation by any means, but some people taking that, um, getting that gleam in their eye and thinking, actually, do you know, maybe this is part of my faith. Maybe this is something that, that really matters when we've been, um, that our responsibility to care for the world is a way that we can, um, we can really engage as Christians in a very specific way with our faith being an, a positive thing to add to the conversation. And we also talked a lot, which sounds ironic, but we talked a lot about listening and how important it was to listen to the other voices, especially the voices from people in parts of the world that are really experiencing the, the sharp edge of things. Um, so yeah, that, that was that feeling and, and we're not helpless. We've got something to offer, um, we mm. can do something. So that was encouraging. Beautiful, beautiful. That that idea of putting your hand to the rock as well has a, a kind of resurrection motif to it of the stone. I know yeah. Albert back in St. Andrews, didn't you? You literally had that big stone that you'd roll away, um, you know, the big sort of facsimile of a stone that'd be rolled away. And I think that idea of um, 
rolling away so that the light can come um is is lovely um and so yeah so that idea of listening paying attention but keeping the spark alive um fantastic well we're going to be chatting um to you more rona and to um the whole panel we're going to open up this thing about cop um but just before we do um i have a little poem to share with you we poem gang that I've written. Um, we can see this as a kind of amuse-bouche, perhaps, um, to get started on this whole idea of, of climate change and COP and, and what our Christian response should be. Um, and so this is um, a reworked piece. Um, so I contributed to a Church of Scotland project a few years ago and, and wrote a reflection on uh, this piece uh, in Jeremiah, um, where we talk about the land. How long will the land mourn? But much like the delegates that are gathering for COP26, I saw what was there and thought, well, this isn't quite right. This isn't quite good enough. And so I've attempted to reshuffle and pull different things together and change the rhymes and, and all the rest of it. So I've got, much like yourself, Ian, I've, I've, I've heeded the call and thrown something together. Um, and so this is a little piece called How Long? And uh, what we're doing here in The Late Show is we're going to have a mixture of interviews, spoken word, music, that kind of thing. And so we're hoping that over the, the months as we develop this show, we're going to have more of this kind of thing where we mix little stories and anecdotes and poems and monologues and, and what have you. So let this be a little humble offering to get us started um, on that train. So here is a poem called How Long. How long will the land mourn, shifting, sighing, lowing, reckoning its lost loves in the midst of all it's born? For how long will flowers blossom tears upon the cheeks of dry earth, if seeds locked inert lie unstirred and unbidden by our empty words? For how long will the laughter lines of rocky ridges ring with the hope of new days? For how long before they fall silent, speechless at what we have made? How many more will profit from the earth's loss, jealously guarding what is freely given, hoarding the limitless with a closed fist where abundance can be hidden? A magnanimous line of platitude, every line of latitude, a ledger illegible, an account indefensible, a thermostat indispensable, disasters preventable, a future untenable. We search for the face of God in the cosmos and miss Jesus weeping in the forest. Leaves turn to ash as he asks us to follow him to a clearing, a glade where he can better see our face. And we ask, how long? As we catch our breath and feel the bark containing stored light beginning to feel stronger, we ask, how long? And he can tell us under a sheltering canopy of all that we can be, he can tell us not much longer. Thank you. It's oh, lovely, man. That's good. Thank you. Nice one. Really, really nice one. Challenging. I want to start this sort of general discussion off by, here's the thing. Why is it that our politicians are continually talking about growth, economic growth? We need more growth. Do we? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we there's a kind of way, isn't there, that our economics has kind of worked on this basis, our macroeconomics, that growth is always going to happen. And because that bill is always footed by the planet, 
Um, but is that sustainable? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. It, it's the capitalist ideal is what it is. Um, um, Western capitalism <laughs> says that a economy should grow and grow and grow. Um, that's why they exist, and they exist to weed out the weak in favour of the strong. I mean, that that is... Western capitalism, but the truth, the lie, the great lie that it tells us is that things can keep growing forever, and things can't keep growing forever, um, and that is what gives lie to. It's such an obvious, in-your-face lie that it's so often we 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 buy into it because it's so obvious that we think, well, surely somebody else has thought this. <laughs> you, ever, you ever sit in a meeting where you know people say, oh, there are no stupid questions and you think well actually there are and i've got one uh, so i've got to <laughs> shut up about it um do you know and and it's a bit like that it's a you know nobody's willing to actually stand up and say well do you know at some point actually uh you all need to kind of like look after each other and we can't actually make more mobile phones there isn't anything left in the earth um but already we've got a an economy which is looking to the moon to, har to harvest all sorts of minerals. We're looking to uh, asteroids. It's almost as if we're eating the solar system. Um, for what? For, for actually what? None of these things are of any value. And, th and the other hard truth is that none of these things actually mean anything. My life wasn't any happier before I had a mobile phone than after I had one. In fact, after I had one, it's become a whole lot worse, let me tell you. Um, you know, it was great to have a dodgy phone connection at home when you're on call, but not anymore. You know, my mobile phone or my watch or whatever can always get hold of me. Um, you know, the work never stops. Capitalism always grows. It never, it, you know, it's the beast that just never seems to stop growing. But the, here's the issue. One day it will because it has to. I sometimes think too that the reason we buy into it or one of the reasons we we find it easy to buy into it is because we turn a blind eye to the consequences of it because so often the consequences and we see this with the climate now but so often the the, the greatest price is paid by the people who are getting the least benefit from it um mm -hmm. so you know we, we send our rubbish away to tips in different countries that have to deal with um with the recycling you know and we, we we demand more and more that leads to you know cheap factory labor or poor conditions or you know destruction of the climate but because we don't see it because we don't hear the stories because we we kind of uh, um turn a bit of a blind eye to it then we're able to see it as sustainable when it when it really isn't but i was struck too particularly when you talk about growth there albert something i always loved in one of eugene peterson's books and he was talking in this case about growth in the church but he was saying what what interests him about growth is it growth should be a biological metaphor not a numerical one so it's not about numbers it's about putting down roots and it's about depth um, and it's about nurturing and that's the kind of growth that the the earth needs um you know all of us need um, rather than the growth that is just about more, but it's about things that take us deeper and that nourish and, and help us to grow. And that's the kind of the, what we should be, be aiming for um, um, as a planet. Growing people. Growing, growing people. people. Yeah, exactly. Growing communities. And, and growing people in the right way, perhaps, too, so that when uh, vaccines are discovered, they're actually distributed not to make a huge profit, but to just give people their life or to give people security in life. I mean, there is so much we can do and make life interesting. And there's so much still to be done, but it doesn't need to, the, 
the compensation for it all doesn't need to be be wealth, money, <clears throat> more things. It's because of a Western value system. I once saw a very interesting documentary, um, and it was North Korea. And North Korea had put in a documentary about the West. It's very interesting how they see what we take as completely normal as being absolute anathema. You know, and we wonder why they don't get us. They don't get us because we seem to put on our media nothing of any value. And one of the heartbreaking things is when, you know, people see behind the curtain um, to things like fame, riches, wealth, etc. It's really all a rather empty experience without somebody who loves you and cares about you. Do you know, it doesn't actually mean anything. Um, you could have nothing at all, but if you get somebody who loves you, who'll hold you at night time or who'll, you know, tell you that they care and they'll pick you up when you, they, you fall down, that's worth more than anything. And you just cannot buy that. You just can't buy it. And, and I think this is one of the ways that we've gone wrong. But unfortunately, we are intent on it, you know, in this kind of almost fantasy land of we can technologize ourselves into a better future once all the resources are gone and it's a complete nonsense i mean that yes we can we can carbon capture and yes we have very cleverly science their way out of what could have been a pandemic that was a game changer we're awfully clever at that but we're never very clever at learning the blooming lessons of it I mean, where here's a here's a here's a novel thought. Be kind to each other. Okay. Be there for each other. Wasn't about anyway. Here's, here's an interesting thing, isn't it? Strange how um, <clears throat> during the pandemic the government were able to say you're all going to have to stay at home, and all of a sudden all the emissions and everything stopped, and the planet started to heal itself. You know, and because the government took drastic action and said, "This has got something's got to be done," and they, they took drastic action and started to make a difference. <clears throat> but I think as governments, when we come about this growth thing, I think we need a whole new philosophy of of how we govern ourselves and what what is of value. And and I think this is where, as Christians, we've got something to contribute here into this whole debate. And. Uh, <clears throat> I think that's where we need more thinking and more reflection. There, there is the, the very famous 1968 experiment where they fed into one of the big old computers that was the size of a house. Um, if humanity were to extend itself and live a fulfilled life, um, how would you do it if you're a computer? And it came up with something very much resembling the Ten Commandments. Um, because really, that—that's really what it's all about. I think we get—we we love the shiny things. We're human beings. We love shiny things. We're kind of pre-programmed to be that way. But actually, it doesn't make us happy. What it does do, interest scientifically for a minute here, what it does do is it stimulates your dopamine centers in your brain. So deep within your brain, right in the limbic system, right where trauma lives and guilt lives and, and love lives and all sorts of stuff lives in there. And it doesn't have language, but what it does do is it gets lit up by little things. So it gets lit up, for example, by having a cigarette. Nicotine's great. It lights up the reward centre. Having a drink. A drink's great. It lights up the reward centre. And Facebook 
apps, mobile phones, computers, all this stuff sends a zap to our limbic system when we think, oh, this is good, this has got to be good. But what we need to do, what, where, what does Christianity bring to the table? Christianity brings perspective. Christianity brings a perspective of, you know, a people who have been lauded and subjugated for thousands of years. Christianity is able to say, but there is something more. There is something numinous. There is something extra. There is something you're not seeing here. Um, and that's where I think we can be of the best. Do you, know, do you know, Ian, I'm just thinking there, Jesus told a parable. And he said, there was a man who said, things are going well for me. I'm going to build more barns and I'm going to, I'm going to increase more of my wealth. I'm going to make it. I'm going to grow more. I'm going for economic growth in a big way. And Jesus said, God said to him, you're a fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. And how easy it is <clears throat> over the years when we see people who have so much and then they go and they've got to leave it behind. You know, and uh, was it Jesus said, what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world? And lose themselves lose that soul that part which makes you who you are you lose it another thing too that i think that um the that the church has to offer or we have to offer it uh, as people of faith and this came uh, we looked at this in different ways at different parts of this course and also in the sermon series we were doing but recovering the sense of the earth having having a value having a value in god's eyes and all the rest and not being a commodity sometimes historically the church has been guilty of you know taking the opening of genesis that of humanity having dominion over mm -hmm. that meaning that we have control and that we're in charge and all of the rest whereas you know we were created you know in the story on the sixth day along with the other animals as as part of that but with given this special role and with being made in God's image. So what does being made in God's image mean when it comes to looking after, after the earth? And in the uh, Pope's encyclical Laudato Si that we were looking at, it, he talks about our common home and the idea of the earth being the common home for all the people and, and inhabitants of it, but that we as people of faith should be confident that we have something to offer the dialogue in, in, um, in conjunction with folks of different faiths and folks of no faith and science and all of the rest, but that we have a unique perspective to offer that, you know, we're told that Christ will reconcile all things. You know, the earth is good. The earth is valuable. It is wonderful in and of itself. Um, and not just something that we want to try and get the most out of that we can treat it as yet another um, convenience that we can, and that we can have. And I think that's an important thing for the church to sort of rediscover and affirm um in in our um in our way of being right now mm, absolutely so, i think there's just to say albert i was just going to say that i think there's something about the church as a space where we can tell stories that um compel people and draw people out because as you say ian there's this kind of really simple story of you want the thing get it <laughs> grab it take it get through <laughs> survive get to the next stage um but there's a kind of way in 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 church i think where you know we're storytelling creatures that's what we are humans we like to hear stories we understand the world through stories and in christianity and in in, in 
in, in many religions, there's this thing about hope and there's this idea of being able to hold on to hope. Because actually, I'm struck often by how much the language around climate change is very religious and very apocalyptic. And there's lots of stuff about the sins. You know, it's maybe put in a secular sense, but there's lots of stuff about the sins we've done. And now it's all coming and there's a reckoning and it's all going to burn. and It's all going to be terrible. But we actually have a story of hope and we have a story of what it is to come together and be hopeful. And I was listening to some analysis about COP today before knowing I was coming on tonight. And this uh, journalist was talking about how, you know, the scientists that he's talking to are saying, we've got the means, we can do this. It's about coming together and actually, you know, having enough political will to make it happen. And I think the problem is, is when we're trapped in this kind of um, hamster in the wheel thing, like you say, Ian, of just looking for gratification and just looking for a way to cope and we're all divided, then we're never, we're never going to have enough sort of mental space to do it and so i my hope and prayer is that over the next sort of crucial five to ten years that the church is a space where people can rediscover hope and rediscover a sort of view of the world that is one that can be redeemed and can be restored um that um the, the ending is not the end and that there is more and that jesus is always inviting us into more i think we can be more actually and as um Ronnie was saying there and as you're saying you know, the thing that comes to mind very much for me is the scene in C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle. And in The Last Battle, the dwarves believe themselves to be um, in a horrible, stinky, um, a, you know, building a hay barn. And Aslan comes along and he offers this feast in front of them. And they're not in a hay barn at all. They're sitting in beautiful green fields. But when they've take the food they can't seem to taste it to them it's rotten cabbages they can't see it when when one of the protagonists the the, the children drags out one of the dwarves out of the circle so that they could see the glory that was round about them they complain that they banged their nose you know that they that they've been taken out with because you see i think a lot of our chains of our, are of our own making and, and I think that as Christian people, perhaps we need to ask people, why do you feel you need the mobile phone? Why do you think you need, I mean, look, I'm talking about room of guitars, you know, but John says this to me all the time, Ian, why do you need another guitar? Well, just for the record, they all make different sounds, all right? Don't judge. <laughs> but anyway, back to the, the, the dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what I would say though is that we maybe kind of ask ourselves as a society, we've maybe got to say why why do we think we need these things? There are people in the world who don't need this stuff, and I think that's what God says to us. I think that's what Christ says to us when He says, you know, as you say, Albert, um, what does it profit a man if you get everything? And you lose yourself. If you think about it, like when you when you look at it like that, you think, well, of course that's nonsense. Why would I ever want to do that? But I think it's the it, I think what it is is the way it's been framed, and what and what I was really coming round to say is that if we are to help people to see themselves, not us to see them, but them to see themselves, that's the only way you get change. Um. Maybe what we need to do is to tell those stories, but listen to why people are the way they are, where they are, 
um, you know, and maybe we need to realise that we shouldn't be ashamed of who we are as Christians, you know. Um, people don't like it when you talk about Jesus or you say you're a follower of Christ, right? I've noticed this. I can talk about God and spirituality all the lee long day and none of my patients, nobody that I know, my friends and all that, they don't bat an eyelid. They're like, yeah, cool, Ian, you know, that's that's the thing that you believe. That, But the minute you say, well, the thing is, I, re- I, I believe that Jesus came and died for our sins. Oh my goodness me, that sets a different temperature because suddenly you're personalising it. Suddenly you're saying, well, do you know, actually, see this, this is actually real for me. And that really hits people. And I think this is where we need to go with the climate argument. Do you know? It's pretty real for the people living in Tonga right now. That's a pretty real thing. Because their ancestors have been washed out to sea. Now, it's not maybe that real if you're living in the north coast of Scotland. Um, By the way, Ron, I'll be up in Inverness next week. Um, (laughs) Do you know, it's maybe not because we're that higher above sea level. We're not seeing that. But the guys in Tonga, man, they're seeing their ancestors get washed out to sea. That's a terrible thing. But maybe Christianity needs to inject a bit of the reality and say, do you know what, this is what we actually stand for. And stop being frightened of telling people. Just say who you are, because Christ is part of God, and God is the very nature, the very fabric of the existence that we live. How can we be Christian and not think, look at the world as this jewel amongst all the worlds we've ever discovered, and our science is terrifyingly good, and yet we're the one world of life so far? Man, that is pretty special, Do you know, and we take it for granted. You know, all the earth's there all the time. Well, it won't be. If you don't start thinking about protecting, it ain't going to be there. So I guess what I'm saying is, maybe we need to be honest. I would add to that, Ian, just that I think also as we're we're trying to help people uh, think about how they might respond within the church or people who are outside of the church as well, um, I think it's important to have... um, even when we get passionate about it to have some compassion as well for what people are dealing with obviously and you'll know this being at the deep end um in medicine how weary people are now after you know 20 months or so of pandemic and how folks are feeling overwhelmed and a great word uh, scott's word traveled and and just really sort of quite quite weary and i found quite helpful uh, um uh podcast thing I'd heard Nadia Boltz-Weber, the the American Lutheran pastor speaking about, and she was talking about how when you are overwhelmed, because our brains aren't really designed to take in all the information that we take in these days in the internet age, you know, we're designed to cope with the concerns of a village, not the concerns of of an entire planet. So we tend to blank things out and panic because it's too much. And her recommendation was find one thing, focus on one thing, one thing that you're passionate about and that you can feel you can make a difference on and put your energy into and put your energy into that one thing and see where God leads you with that. So I think when we're encouraging people to think about the issue of climate change and making a difference, you know, it's not that you don't have to do everything. You don't have to give up your mobile mobile phone and your car and your, you know, internet connection and go vegan and, you know, um, sort of, you know, get your heat pump and get rid of, you know, what all the, all these side things, you don't have to do it all, but you can, you can choose something. You can start to make 
kind of some changes. And I get some hope from some of our younger generation, you know, James, your age group and all and, and younger who are doing things like upcycling and, and recycling and choosing to, to do things secondhand rather than new and, and just trying to be a bit more responsible that way. Um, so I think we need no. some compassion with it to help people. Rona, I think you're right there about our young people. And especially, I mean, I look at my grandchildren, you know, my, my little granddaughter of seven, and how pliable she is and willing to to be involved in doing things to save the world and to to you know and she's compliant and and it's how we teach our children but you know we are the ones who raise expectations to the extent that they're they're maybe not not real and cause them to think about things that they're not even looking for you know and there's a simplicity often about the, about children. I mean, children will say what they want is their mum or their dad home more than they want them out working. But we say we've got to go out to work because we want to give our children X, Y, and Z. But sometimes the children aren't asking for that. You know, there's a lot. I mean, and that becomes very controversial to talk like this because. But there's a there's a reality. That some people do need to go out and work because they don't have the, the, the you know their income level is so low that they do need to go out and work. So I'm a, I'm not I'm, I'm aware of all that, but there are areas where just children want their mummies and dads around the place, and again these become political issues that governments can begin to think about because it gets back to the idea that all of a sudden the government could find all this money to pay people to stay at home, but that same government two years ago when Corbyn was about and when he put forward a, a, what we've seen as a, a, an impossible situation, where would you get the money for all that? But they managed to get the money for the COVID. So, you know, there's a kind of, I don't know, we need a rebalancing of, of, how, of our politics and, the, and, and how we share things out. No, I was going to say that that is a tough one because how did they find the money? Well, they've taken it from future generations. That's how they found the money, um, because you know the money doesn't just happen. Um, but actually, the whole—I mean, money's not even real. That's the awfulness about. Do you know that is the this heart sinking terribleness of it? Is that see, money doesn't actually exist. It's ones and zeros on a computer. And if there was a massive solar flare that wiped to absolutely every computer in the whole of the world, we would eventually get some kind of economy up and running. But you know what? We'd kind of probably muddle our way through it because money just... But then it's real enough if you're looking at the end of the month and you're thinking, you know, I don't have a good payback. I mean, I'm a doctor. I earn a good wage. But... I didn't always earn a good wage. And when Joanne and I were first married, junior doctors get paid the square root of nothing, right? We were paid less than the hospital cleaner. And nothing against cleaners, by the way, but we were paid less than that um, to be on call and be saving lives in the middle of the night. That was my, that was my lived reality. Um, so even now, even now, and this is nearly 30 years later, when I pay for something with my credit card, as I do every other day, um, I get the fear. I think this is going to get rejected. There's just no no two ways about it. It's going to be embarrassing. I'm going to have to, you know, get put everything back. I still get that fear, but that's the kind of hold that the myth of money has over us. Um, well, Ian, you don't need to worry, because 
You can always sell one of those guitars. I could, brother. Or I could claim my royalties from our songs. I could do that. Too. I'm going to judge. I'm going to judge your repentance each week as I see less ah! guitars in front of me. One less guitar, another week, another week, another week. I was imagining, Ian, this uh, collapsed economy that you were talking about uh, with the solar flare and imagining you bartering a guitar for a sandwich or something as you're getting increasingly desperate. I I think Ian will just uh, re-skill and learn how to build guitars, if that was the case. Oh, Luthier, Ian. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes, you would like that, Ian. Yeah, and by the way, you didn't have to set me that challenge, Albert. That's embarrassing now. Now I'm going to have to store the guitars in the hall. Joe's going to get really upset, and I'll have to say, well, it's because Albert said I should have less of them. I mean, I wouldn't actually get rid of them, but at least I need to. Uh, uh, just setting up trip hazards around the house. I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. I've only got two. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, I'm aware that we're we're coming near the end of our hour, and oh so I'm goodness. thinking, Albert, was there anything that you wanted in terms of this bit of the discussion I mean, to yeah, kind of draw to know, a close at this things, point? Yeah, you know, just you know, I mean, we've had a lot of banter here. Then you know, I mean, and people listening, and we know one another for many many years, and so the 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 the, the banter is is the uh, that's what it is. It's banter. Uh, and it's uh, not meant in any bad way. Um, but it's good that we're able to have discussions about these things and stretch ideas and, and prod one another because that's part of what this is all about in order that we might hear God speak to our lives and into our own hearts and say, this is the way, walk in it. This is what I want you to do. And at the end of the day, back to some of the things that Ian's been talking about tonight, is it's, it's all about values, it's about being kinder to one another, it's about thinking about what it means to be people serving each other. And at the end of the day, these are the key things that come out of Christianity, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. You know, but we, coming up on Sanctuary First, uh, you know, we're hoping to, uh, on the 17th of November, we're hoping to start a, a, new, a new show and it's a show with the, it's entitled Questions for Life. And we're going to bring on a different panel and we're going to start talking about some of the questions that people have about their lives, about, you know, you know, how can I find peace? We're going to have questions that other people are saying, how can I get over church hurt? You know, the people that have been to church and, and they've been in part of church for their lives and then things happen in church hurt and they don't know how to get back. And people are asking, how can I get back to my faith? And how can I rediscover my faith again? Mm. And back to questions that Ian was talking about, even people are asking, you know, why did Jesus die? Is Jesus, did Jesus really live? Would, if, if we didn't have the Bible, would we still find out about Jesus? Is there, is there historical evidence in other places for the life of Jesus? So these are the kind of things we're going to be thinking of over a four-week period running into uh, the beginning of December up to the 8th of December. So every Wednesday night, starting the 17th of November, we're going to have this new show. Uh, the, the, and it's going to be looking at questions of life. And then we're looking at, we're getting ready. We've got some, already we've got some lovely Christmas stories that are being written. And uh, we're hoping to have them available as podcasts for people to download and engage with. Uh, we've got <clears throat> um, 
a film that Jack's in the process of starting to work on. And one of our communities, actually First Community, has written the script and it's going to be a great little film. And Ian and I have been working on a Christmas song and we hope that we're going to get that out by the middle of November as well with Campbell who died. So these are some of the things that are coming up. But the, the prayer festival. I don't oh, aye, Albert. A little bit about the prayer festival. Oh, aye, yes. Well, I, I stepped into to Laura's shoes earlier and I will do again. Uh, the, the prayer festival was uh, Laura's brainchild back in... Gosh, was that October? I think it was the start of October. We had a day of prayer oh. from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And we're going to do it again. Um, so the day before Advent on the 27th of November, uh, we're going to come together as a community and we're going to be praying. We're not exactly sure what the time frame is going to be or, or how it's going to work, but probably pretty similar to last time um, with members of the community coming on every hour to pray. Um, it was really exciting, really transformative to be a part of last time. I was looking forward to it, but nothing prepared me for, for really how special the day felt. So um, we encourage you to join us um, on that day um, for the uh, Advent Festival of Prayer, um, which is quite exciting. And we'll be back as well. The Sanctuary First Late Show will be back on the first Friday, uh, the 3rd of December, um, for a special Advent-themed episode. And Christmas jumpers will be mandatory. Oh, really? um, there, are no, <laughs> there are no optional Christmas jumpers. There's no wriggling out of it. Great. Well, well, listen, it's over to you, Ian. I think you've got a song for us. Are you going to give yeah. us a song? Um, there's a good reason for me playing this. Um, and it kind of goes back to my C.S. Lewis thing. And this song was written by Albert and I quite a long time ago. Um, and I felt that rather than do a cover version of another song tonight, I would resurrect this song. Because really what it talks about is that we need to just own being Christians, right? Okay, you just need to own it. Because at the end of the day, our Father God created this universe and this world that we live in. And sometimes we feel as if we don't fit. Because people love their stuff. And we maybe see that things are important beyond stuff. But what we're called to do is just to say that. It's to stand up and say, this is Christ's world. This is God's world. And we need to look after it. So this is a wee song that we wrote called uh, Beautiful Creatures because, do you know what? We might be making a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, fist of things at the moment but we are in God's own image and we are beautiful creatures told us we were aliens resident aliens Strangers in a foreign land. They said that we were enemies, mortal enemies. We were captives held by an evil band. But I'm claiming all this world. For Jesus And I'm giving back my life Into his hands 
Oh no, this is not their world It is my father's And I am not a stranger But a son And a beautiful creature Beautiful creature, beautiful creature, held by a father's love, invaded by saboteurs, secular saboteurs, they were subversives of a father's plan. It's okay to believe in facts, the scientific facts, reason in the God we serve. But maybe love is based on more than reason, and logic's just a tool to find the truth. I know believing is the key to understanding And faith brings confidence to who we are We're beautiful creatures Beautiful creatures Beautiful creatures scared no more running scared no more a fugitive in a father's land it's time to speak the truth and maybe even live the truth the first fruits of a father's plan and I'm claiming all this world for Jesus I'm giving back my life into his hands No, no, this is not their world It is my father's And I am not a stranger I'm a son and a beautiful creature Beautiful creature Beautiful creature Beautiful Wow Daniel, that was lovely I believe if you like that song, you can get it on the Cardboard album, on the iTunes, and there's a number of really interesting songs on the Cardboard, the Cardboard, Cardboard, cardboard House album. A brilliant album. Cardboard brilliant House record. album. Yeah, it's uh, we, we released that, I think, in 1998, so that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Just like us, it's wearing well. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Ian, and thank you, Rona, for joining us, for being the first guest on the Sanctuary First Late Show. Thanks, Rona. Yeah, I think uh, that's uh, really, isn't it, just the uh, 
winding everything up, reminding you that uh, Sanctuary First continues to have daily prayers, Bible readings and morning prayer at seven in the morning. And tomorrow morning, I'll be leading that morning prayer on Facebook. If you want to join us on Facebook at 7pm live, or you can pick it up for the rest of the day at whatever time you're available. And I remind you on Sunday, there is the 3pm Sunday live and it's coming from and supported by uh, up, up your way, um, up in uh, Braemar. And uh, it's coming from uh, Braemar and Crathy. Uh, I, and uh, Ken McKenzie and some of his congregation are sharing in that service. Uh, so there you go. It's going to be a good weekend. I'd love to have you join us if you're free on Sunday at 3pm. Otherwise, have a great weekend. And we will see you next month on the first fr Friday of the month next month next December or in December so until then God bless God bless bye peace bye.